0: The following message is part of the preaching ministry of Berlin Baptist Church in Sally, South Carolina. We pray God's richest blessings for you as you study His Word. Zephaniah chapter 3, beginning in verse 9. And we're going to find this subject, Finding Hope Where You Least Expect It. So if you would follow along as I read. For at that time... I will change the speech of the peoples to a pure speech, that all of them may call upon the name of the Lord and serve him with one accord. From beyond the rivers of Cush, my worshipers, the daughter of my dispersed ones, shall bring my offering. On that day you shall not be put to shame because of the deeds by which you have rebelled against me. For then I will remove from your midst your proudly exultant ones, And you shall no longer be haughty in my holy mountain. But I will leave in your midst a people humble and lowly. They shall seek refuge in the name of the Lord, those who are left in Israel. They shall do no injustice and speak no lies, nor shall there be found in their mouth a deceitful tongue. For they shall graze and lie down, and none shall make them afraid. Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O Israel. Rejoice. he will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. I will gather those of you who mourn for the festival so that you will no longer suffer reproach. Behold, at that time I will deal with all your oppressors, and I will save the lame and gather the outcasts, and I will change their shame into praise and renown in all the earth. At that time I will bring you in, at the time when I gather you together. For I will make you renowned and praised among all the peoples of the earth when I restore your fortunes before your eyes, says the Lord. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray that you will take this word that you have given us. I pray you'll give us understanding. I pray you'll make it clear. I pray you'll help us to then be obedient to what you call us to do from your word such that we might honor you and glorify you with our lives. Help us to be good witnesses and to live lives worthy of the calling with which we've been called for the glory of Jesus Christ. And I pray in his name. Amen. Finding hope where you least expect it. Now, you know, the reason why I say that is because if you've been with us all the way up through this point in this prophecy in Zephaniah, it's not been a lot of positive things going on. There's been a lot of judgment. There's been a lot of wrath. There's a lot of, a lot of condemnation because God's people have sinned and rebelled, and therefore God is going to judge them. He judges the peoples around them, the enemies of God and enemies of God's people. Then he comes to Judah in Jerusalem and says, I'm going to judge you because you have sinned. You have rebelled against me. And so all the way up through from verse uh, 1 in chapter 1, all the way to verse 8 in chapter 3, it's not been a lot of good news. So now we get to the end of the prophecy, and all of a sudden, there's hope. There's hope because God is saving his people because they have repented, they're turning around, they're humbling themselves, and they're coming back to God with a humble spirit, with a spirit of repentance, and saying, we were wrong, we've sinned, Please forgive us. And God is, of course, merciful and kind and gracious and forgiving. And he will forgive sin when it's confessed and repented of. And so we, we see that truth all the way through Scripture. We look at 1 John 1, 9, which is a great verse to remember in the New Testament. If we say we have no sin, then we deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us. But then if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. That's a promise from God. And so that is what we see here. So in this brief passage from Zephaniah 3, verse 9 down to verse 20, there's three things we want to look at, three things we need to see in this passage, I believe, that are going to help us understand how do we find hope. We're in the midst of uh, difficult circumstances uh, unusual circumstances. I mean, honestly, I'm, I'm out here on the front steps of the church, preaching to cars gathered in <laughs> in the grass. I mean, this is this is unusual. Okay, this is, I've not done this before, at least not at a church. I mean, we've got a perfectly good sanctuary in here. Seems like we'd be sitting in there, right? Well, we can't do that today. So finding hope in the in the most unexpected places. So if you'll follow with me as we step through this passage, beginning in verse nine. Number one, I want to say this. Be sure you are a child of God. Be sure you are a child of God. So you see in verse nine, going down to verse 13, there's several things here that the text brings out for us, and you see the people call on the name of the Lord. Do you remember that great verse in Romans 10 and verse 13? "Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved." That's a promise. And so the first thing we see here in Zephaniah 3, nine, call on the name of the Lord. And look how he, how he fleshes that out, how God's Spirit then inspires him to write these words and to speak these words to God's people. Serve the Lord alongside other believers. There's a, a wholehearted trust in and worship of him to the exclusion of all others. And by the way, isn't that where the Ten Commandments began? The very first commandment? You shall have no other gods before me. So God is reminding his people here, there needs to be a wholehearted trust in him and a worship of him to the exclusion of all others. There are to be no other gods. That's part of repentance and faith. But then you see in this text, your life is given over entirely to him. And as he begins out, your speech has been purified. Your nature has been transformed. You are worshiping and serving God alone. That's what he requires of his people. There are to be no idols, no other gods, commandments one and two. He alone is worthy of our praise and our worship. And so when you get past verses 9 and 10, then you see in verse 11 and then into the first part of 12, you see a meek and a humble spirit before the Lord. Which this signifies a profound change in our inner life. Not just superficial, not just on the outside. See, a lot of times we, we fall as parents, I think we fall into this trap of uh behavior modification, but there's the heart change is missing. You can you can always uh manipulate someone's behavior and and get them to do what you need them to do or get them not to do what you don't want them to do. But they may not be, uh, their heart may not be in it. They may not really feel like this is the right thing. They just may be doing what you say because maybe they fear punishment. But there's been no heart change. But this is something totally different in God's people. There's a profound change in your inner life. Christ is now the true King and Lord of your life. You know, um, a lot of people will draw this distinction between Well, is is Jesus just your Savior, or is he also your Lord? In other words, have you prayed to him to receive salvation because you don't want to go to hell, but you haven't submitted your life to him to where you're surrendered to, to living for him? He's not your Lord. You want him to be your Savior, but you're not really interested in him being involved in every intricate detail of your life. Uh one of my favorite preachers down uh used to be, he was retired from Woodstock, Georgia. Now he works for the North American Mission Board, Johnny Hunt, he he would always say, If Jesus isn't Lord of all, Jesus may not be Lord at all. That that hurt my feelings. Because I don't want to consider the possibility that when I disobey or I rebel against Christ, what does that say about my heart? How uh, surrendered, am I really to Jesus? If I am not willing to obey His word, but see in in here in verses eleven and twelve, you see a recognition of sinful rebellion, which is leading to repentance. It's turning from our sins, and that's a a, a, a part of the total change, the inner life being changed profoundly. We humbly call for mercy from the Savior. James Montgomery Boyce wrote this about. Uh, this particular portion of this scripture, he asks the question, he says, is this the case with you? And he's he's speaking to the recognition of sinful rebellion, the repentance, the humble spirit asking for mercy from Christ. He says, is this the case with you? Has this been your experience? If not, you are no true child of God. You are no Christian. And those are strong words, but understand the principle behind it. Folks, if we have not repented of our sins and turned to Jesus Christ for our salvation, we're not Christians. That's what makes a Christian. It's placing all our faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone, trusting in his sacrifice on our behalf when he died for our sins in our place on that cross. That's what gives us salvation. It's something that Jesus did, it's not something that we do. It's a gift of God. So have we done that? Where where Uh, is our experience of turning to God in humble faith and repentance. And then at the end of this first section, down in verse 12, the second part of verse 12, and then into verse 13, the beginning of a life of obedience, and then not just beginning that life, but progress, progress in the life of obedience. In other words, you've, you've trusted Christ. He's made you a new creation. But it doesn't stop there. Now you're making progress. You're moving closer to God. You're, you're uh, opening yourself up as, as the Holy Spirit sanctifies you, makes you more like Jesus. In fact, there's a verse that speaks to this in the New Testament. Again, First John chapter 2, verses 3 through 6. And here's what, what John was inspired to write. He says, by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. The one who says I've come to know him does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him the love of God has truly been perfected. And by this we know that we are in him. The one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. So in other words, if we love Jesus and we know he loves us and we've trusted him with our eternity, then it makes sense. We want to follow his example of life. We want to live the way he lived. We want to do the things he did. We want to follow his instructions he gives us in his word. This is all important because the closer we come to Jesus, the more we love Jesus, the more we will want to follow Jesus and be obedient to his word. That's a natural progression. So we need to understand the the crucial nature of not just trusting christ and thinking we have okay well we've got what they call fire insurance did you know that's a myth there's no such thing as fire insurance because if you think you're getting out of hell and into heaven just because you pray a prayer a certain way and shake the preacher's hand and walk to the front of a church building you are sadly mistaken that is not christianity christianity is a heart change a surrender to jesus christ and a full and complete trust in him and then a following of him by being obedient to his word, fellowship with his people, doing the things that Jesus calls us to do. That's what Christianity is all about. It's not signing a card. Anybody can sign a card. This is a full, complete surrender to Jesus Christ. John also said in John 14, verse 15, If you love me, this is quoting Jesus, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. James Boyce said uh, on this portion of this passage, he said, if you're among those who have been touched and changed by God and who therefore love him, you will be striving to do what God says. You will want to obey him. You will be succeeding more and more for wanting to obey Christ is the most important factor in a life of holiness. Did you catch that word in there? wanting to obey christ that's a desire did you know when jesus saves somebody he changes your want to's he changes your desires in your heart he he gives you a new set of desires there's a verse about this in psalm 37 that gets often gets uh, misinterpreted delight yourself in the lord and he will give you the desires of your heart you know what that means if you delight yourself in the Lord, he will give you a new set of desires. God's not going to cater to you if you claim to delight in him, but you're not following him. It doesn't, that's not what that means. Well, I'll just get everything I want. If I just act like I'm delighting in the Lord, he'll give me what I want. No, he'll give you a new set of wants and desires that are in accordance with his will and your sanctification for his glory. That's how he works. That's how God works. We are striving for a life of holiness. So that was number one. Be sure you're a child of God. In everything that means, be sure you're a child of God. Number two, give praise for the redemption of God. Give praise for the redemption of God. Verse 14, he says, sing aloud, shout. This is so beautiful. Have, have you ever been so blessed by God or so overcome by a blessing God has given you? just makes you want to shout, just makes you want to sing out loud. You just can't hold it in because Jesus has done so much for you, you just can't hold it in anymore. That, that's, what, that's what God is saying here to his people. Sing out loud. Not just if you're in the car by yourself going down the road. Sing out loud. Shout, Israel. He says in verse 14, shout rejoice and exult with all your heart. You know why? Your sins have been forgiven. God has turned back your enemy, the devil. God is with you. He says he's in your midst. You never again need to fear any harm. Now, I want to talk about that for just a second. Do we fear the consequences of what's happening right now in our current situation? Now, I know we don't want to be overcome with worry or anxiety or you know we don't want to be freaking out over oh my goodness what's going to happen what's going to happen you know because that would then that would make us appear that we don't trust in god but now we want to be safe we want to be healthy we want to be responsible that's why we're sitting out here in our vehicles and not in here in the sanctuary we're trying to be responsible but we don't want to be overcome with fear and and the bible says Listen, if we trust God, we don't need to be overcome with fear. I heard, I can't remember now where I heard this. I just heard it this past week. Um, Someone was, I think, quoting their grandmother. And they said, if you pray, you don't need to worry. If you worry, you don't need to pray. In other words, if you're set on worrying, then why pray? But if you're praying, why bother worrying? You just, you just talk to the creator of the universe you don't think he can handle your issues I, I, i'm gonna tell you a secret god can handle anything you have there's nothing that we will ever encounter that almighty god can't take care of it he can take care of this coronavirus he can take care of the social distancing he can take care of everything but listen if we trust him we need to open our hand up let go of that worry it doesn't mean we cease to be responsible. It doesn't mean we stop uh, worrying about others and trying to love our neighbors by uh, you know, adhering to the suggestions from the Surgeon General and the doctors and all the folks that are telling us to, helpful ways to try to stem the tide of this current situation. We still need to be responsible, but we don't need to be overcome with fear. God says he is with us. We don't need to fear any harm. There's been a reversal of, Of the fall, the consequences of the Garden of Eden, the broken down world, the sin curse that we all suffer from. We don't have to worry and be overcome with the fear of consequences from that. In other words, the ultimate consequence of sin is death and hell. And so those consequences have been removed by Jesus Christ. So we we don't need to fear those things. We need to give God praise for the redemption that we find By the blood of Jesus Christ. That was number two. And finally, number three. Be encouraged by the promises of God. This is probably the most joyful part of this entire prophecy. He saved the best for last. We've talked about being sure that you're a child of God. We've talked about uh, giving praise to God for redemption. But now finally we get to the encouragement. Be encouraged by the promises of God. You look in verse 18. As he starts to give this series of future tense promises. He says, I will gather those of you who mourn. I will deal with all your oppressors. I will save the lame and gather the outcasts. I will change their, sh- uh, their shame into praise and renown. I will bring you in when I gather you together. I will make you renowned and praised. And then in the last verse, he says, when I restore your fortunes. Listen to what he says here. This is so great. In verse 20, he says, I'll make you renowned and praised among all the peoples of the earth when I restore your fortunes before your eyes, says the Lord. You notice what he didn't say? He didn't say if. He said when. That's a promise. When I restore your fortunes. God's going to take care of his people. We as his people need to trust in the power and the authority of our almighty God. He he God can be trusted in case you weren't aware and and, and all you have to do to find evidence of that beyond looking in scripture is how about just sit down this afternoon and just take a few minutes and do a Uh, a a trip down memory lane, a catalog of your personal experiences, and just write a list of all the things you can remember that God has done in your life. And then when you get done with that list, just read over it. Tell me God can't be trusted. God can always be trusted. One last quote here from James Boyce. He says, if God had not pronounced his I will, the people would not have been regathered and the Jews would have vanished from the earth. You think God's promises didn't make a difference in the lives of the people in Jerusalem and Judah? If God had not made those promises, there would be eternal consequences to their situation. But he did. He did promise. And God never breaks a promise. Be sure you're a child of God. Give praise for the redemption of God. Be encouraged by the promises of God. God is bringing about a new day, which requires the new birth and the transformation of rebellious hearts. And I'm glad God said he's going to do this, because if he had not said it, I, for one, would not be looking forward to any kind of new day. If God cannot, listen to this, if God cannot or will not change hearts, what possible hope do we think we have of changing someone's heart? If God can't do it, it can't be done. But thankfully, because of the promise of his word, the evidence of his character, and the experience of his love, we know 100% Jesus Christ will change your life. Jesus Christ will take away your sins. Jesus Christ will make you a brand new person. And there's no other way that happens. It's only by the blood of Jesus Christ. It's only by trusting fully by grace through faith in the sacrifice, the shed blood of Jesus on your behalf, on my behalf, the the sacrifice he made when he went to that cross to reconcile sinful mankind to God. That's the only way it happens. If you're looking for a change in life, you're looking for a a new source of joy because everything in the world has left you wanting because it's not going to fulfill what you're looking for. There's only one place to look. His name is Jesus. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this message from God's Word. For more information on Berlin Baptist Church, we invite you to explore our website at www.berlinchurchsc.org.